Welcome to the 24th episode of the Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. You know, last night was not great, but we're here to talk about everything that happened on Friday and Saturday. Joining me, as always, is my awesome co-host, Dave Latham. Dave, say hi to everybody. How's it going, everyone? Series is still tied one-to-one. Fortunately, yesterday only counted as one game, not three, so... If it felt like three in a way, but in, in actuality, it's only one. So we're okay. We got three more to go or two more to go. I don't know how it's going to turn out. But, yeah, we're going to break down both game one and game two. We're going to have some in-depth analysis with that, as always. Um, so, yeah, and I wanted to preface this by uh, apologizing last week. If anybody listened to our show, we tried some new audio things, and my editing was not awesome so i left some things in there that shouldn't have been in there so if you heard them they were pretty funny but i apologize because i dropped the ball dave i'm sorry chris i'm sorry if you're listening to this it won't happen again probably hopefully not but you got a few things out though like uh, there was that 30 minutes i spent trying to talk about bobby pointer where the connection just always interrupted that wasn't in there yeah that was like the only thing i got out of there but there were some parts that were not supposed to be on there so I, I I'll take it. It's a wash. It's a, but this week we'll we'll hopefully just be clean, smooth uh, audio for you guys today. Chris unfortunately couldn't join us this week because he is at a wedding. So we're not using. We're kind of using Skype, but we're kind of going back to our roots because I suck at everything technology. I can't figure out how to do it. So we're we're anxiously awaiting Chris's return. That is for sure. But you ready to break this down, Dave? You ready to get this thing? Let's out? do it. Let's do it. So we're going to start with game one because, you know, that's just chronological order, I guess. Uh, so the Red Sox, this was a fun game. They beat their Yankees 5-4. to four. Game one, J.D. Martinez started the game with a beautiful three-run home run swing into the Green Monster to put the Red Sox up 3-0. That was a catalyst for a very good night for Boston. Uh, certified Yankee killer Steve Pierce hit an RBI single, and Bogarts collected a sack fly, which pushed the score to 5-0. So even early, we had a nice, comfortable lead. Another great thing was Chris Sale was dominant. Obviously, there was a lot of talk coming into his start about how his velocity was going to show up because in his last start, it was around 90 miles per hour. People were concerned. He was consistently hitting 95 miles per hour. He was vintage Chris Sale. All the concern was for nothing because he was lights out. He went five and one-thirds innings of two earned run baseball with eight strikeouts and two walks. Moreover, the earned runs that he allowed came when he was not on the mound. Ryan Brazier inherited those runners, and he allowed both of them to score. So while they're earned runs, I put them as earned runs with an asterisk because they don't feel like they were Chris Sale's fault. Uh, Dave, I want to ask you what your thoughts were on Chris Sale's performance. Yeah, so um, I, I, I thought Sale would be good. I didn't think he'd be that good. I was worried about the velocity. I don't deny that. But, you know, shame on me. I doubted Chris Sale, our Lord and Savior, and I should not have done that. He can do basically whatever he wants because Chris Sale is absolutely amazing. It was a fantastic start, and after watching each and every last Red Sox starter just get killed over the past two, three years, it's, it was great to see an ace actually come out there, pitch like an ace, and just shut down one of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah, Sale was phenomenal. Um, we all had our concerns. I mean, a lot of people had concerns, but he... He, he is the man. He, he, you know, he took those concerns, not at face value, and he just came out and pitched like he always has, and, and it, it, was, it was beautiful. But, yeah, then Ryan Brazier came in, and he forfeited both those inherited runners to score. Brandon Workman stopped the bleeding. This was in the sixth inning when Sale was taken out. Um, but 
he Workman also let off the seventh pretty painfully, and he allowed those two runners uh, allowed the first two runners to reach base, and it took some Matt Barnes sorcery to limit that damage. Because Barnes, oh my gosh, that was incredible. And Barnes is also coming off the hip injury, so we don't really know what we have in having him. He didn't pitch a lot in the last month or so, so it was really nice to see that he was able to work out of that jam in that really high leverage spot. Um, but Brandon Workman struggled in this game, and I know in game two, which we'll talk about later, he did allow two, there were two weak hits. But I, I want to ask you, Dave, I know you're a big Brandon Workman guy, and I, I'm not. I, I want to know if you think Brandon Workman should be used in high leverage situations uh, going forward in the postseason. So I'm fine with using Brandon Workman as like an inherited runner type guy. I don't know why Cora put Brazier out there. He's proven time and time again that Clean inning Brazier is borderline elite. Inherited runner Brazier is just awful. There's more than enough numbers to back that up. And I wrote an article going into the playoffs about the postseason bullpen, why I felt good with it. And one of the reasons I felt good with it is because, well, in the playoffs, Core is never going to use Brazier in an inherited runner situation. And then that's the first thing he does. So that was weird to me. I'd use Workman more in a situation like that. However, objectively looking at it, he's your worst or second worst bullpen arm i don't know why like i get why he came in to stop the bleeding but i don't get why he was out there to start the seventh he didn't really uh, have to go you didn't need to really test the bullpen depth that game you should have just gone with your better arms which you know barnes porcello there were a lot of options out there better than brandon workman for that situation yeah, Workman had, uh, I think he walked the first batter in the bottom of the sixth, but then he got a really clutch strikeout. Can't remember who it was on. And then... Uh, it was Torres. Torres, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, was, that was nice. But then the seventh inning happened, he allowed the two runners to score. That was not good. Um, Workman has been pretty good this season in terms of not allowing runs, which is ultimately what a reliever or any pitcher should strive to do. He has a 327 ERA, which is good, but looking a little been under the hood he's got the 442 fip and the 425 x fip in 41 innings that's not very encouraging i know it's not the end all be all but the peripherals aren't great with workmen for reference joe kelly has a fip of 357 which is almost a, a run better and henry has a 419 um and I, I i will go out on limb and actually say i do trust kelly and henry more than workmen that's probably a very unpopular opinion it will not be received well I just think Hembry and Kelly are the better pitchers. And I don't know if Workman should be used in anything but mop-up duty when they have a, a good-sized lead because at this point, everything's crucial. Every every inning matters. So hopefully, uh, I mean, I, I, I still like Brandon Workman, but I'm just not sold on him being. He might be the worst pitcher in this bullpen right now. But what what was surprising came in the eighth inning this surprised me the most but i'm totally for the move and i'll, I'll solicit your opinion on it in a second dave rick porcello was summoned to pitch the eighth now going into it we thought a voldy would come in um in some relief capacity because he was tabbed to start game four but they went with rick porcello and he got two outs in the eighth before exiting uh for craig kimbrell who recorded the four out save so i wanted to get your take on using porcello like this core's decision to use porcello what'd you think it surprised me i won't lie um at the time i was screaming on twitter about why aren't you putting steve steven wright in there but then we found out he was in the midst of an mri so you know that's a good reason to not pitch a guy i would have I would have thought it was Evaldi just because of all the success Evaldi's had against the Yankees. 
obviously Porcello worked out, and Porcello's been good against the Yankees, too. In his last start um, back in August against New York, he uh, had that great eight uh, complete game, one-hit masterpiece. So it's not like Porcello can't do it, and he's been the number three all year. So I like the move. It surprised me at the time, and if Wright were available, I would have gone with Wright, but I liked the move of using Porcello out of the bullpen right there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, I really thought this was a savvy and bold move by Cora just because it's not something you typically see. But when he actually did it, it, it I mean, it worked out, obviously. And you're putting you're putting yourself in a position to see Because this was a close game. The Red Sox, I'm not going to say they, I mean, obviously they needed the win. And Porcello came in, and he's, he's, the bullpen is not great. And having Porcello in, you know, in that high leverage situation, in that bullpen, is awesome because he is one of your better pitchers. I mean, the guy won a Cy Young two years ago. And, I mean, I think I also read an article a little bit on the Boston Globe before it tried to get me to buy the rest of it. I think it was trying to get me to buy just a single article for 75 cents, which is new. I've never. Yeah, they're changing it up a little bit. They are. They are. But I was surprised. I was like, you want me to just spend 75 cents for a single article okay whatever i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go into that but it was talking about how Porcel they approached porcello about this potentially happening and it did not take him all like that long to think about and say yes because this is new for him he's not used to this he's tabbed to be the game three starter but i think it was a pretty selfless thing to like get out of this role that he was used to to being that third starter and to say hey i'll come in the bullpen whatever you need to do whatever we need to do to win and I think that was awesome, and and I I'm excited to see um, who actually starts Game Three because that kind of put it in question to see if it's going to be Ovaldi Game Three or Porcello. But nonetheless, that was a crucial inning from Porcello, and it, it obviously paid dividends. And hopefully, we'll see more of that kind of because I need we'll talk about this later. But David Price will also potentially come out of the bullpen Monday. And oh boy, <laughs> well when your relievers are that you know mediocre they need their starting pitchers to kind of step up in the bullpen roll a little bit um and then aaron judge hit a solo home run in the top of the ninth that pushed uh, it to five four and kimbrell stayed the course after that and he got three consecutive strikeouts i was worried when judge hit that home run because that was just the first batter and that was a shot um opposite field i believe right over monkey Betts's head into the bullpen yeah, I, I was a little nervous, but Kimbrell really buckled down well and to get the three consecutive yeah. strikeouts. I am very mad at whatever gods may be that Aaron Judge is a Yankee. Let's just put that out there. Like, they didn't need to do that to us. No, they really didn't. I mean, they have three or four capable outfielders as is. They, they really didn't need that. But, yeah, Judge Judge is pretty good at baseball. I, I can admit that as a Red Sox fan as hard as it is. Um, but yeah, after game one, we had a poor announcement happening. Stephen Wright, as you mentioned, Dave, was removed from the ALDS roster due to knee inflation, uh, inflammation, and he won't be eligible to return until the World Series. That means if the Red Sox advance to the American League Championship Series against the Houston Astros, spoiler alert, the Indians will not, um, then uh, yeah, uh, Wright won't be eligible for that. Uh, Heath Embry is going to replace him, and I wanted to ask you, Dave, how this will affect the Red Sox. Oh, that is such a huge uh, shot to the Red Sox. It's obviously not what you want. Stephen Wright was, next to Kim, Craig Kimbrell, probably the best bullpen arm that we had, and he was another reason that I felt really good about this bullpen going in. I thought if the starter can go five innings, Wright can go two, and then just use Brazier, 
Brazier and Kimbrell to uh, close out the rest of the game. And you got a happy equation for a win every single time. But with right out, you really don't have that reliable long guy who's always a long guy. You can have Eduardo Rodriguez go, I guess. But he's been really struggling with playoff teams, and you saw that in game two. And you could have whichever starter isn't starting pitching the bullpen, but that's not an ideal strategy either. So that really that really uh, hurts what the Red Sox can do. Obviously, Hembry, he's... He's fine for what he is. He's good with inherited runners most of the time. But he's not like a true multi-inning guy that can go up into any situation and you know, or you feel pretty good about getting two, three innings of production. And I guess the, the only guy we have that does that right now is Eduardo Rodriguez. I was supposed we didn't, you know, consider Brian Johnson or Hector Velasquez because they're more of a natural fit for what Bright was asked to yeah. do in this bullpen. So... You know, obviously, it just it makes everything a lot harder for us moving forward. And hopefully, if we make it to the World Series, Wright can be back for it. Yeah, it definitely compounds these bullpen issues, which have been kind of pervasive, especially over the past few months. I think the bullpen issues have been overblown this season, and I think you agree. But this this definitely hurts. This is a severe blow because they had this lack of an eighth inning guy, and they thought Stephen Wright could fill that role. And again, you mentioned it, like. If the Red Sox got in a situation where their starters exited early, like last night with David Price, having Wright be able to go multiple innings was definitely a feature. And now Hembry, I don't think, has the same ability, although I think he pitched two innings last night. I think he pitched the eighth and the ninth, and he did. Yeah, he did. but those were really who cares. Innings, yeah, you know? like, <laughs> those were mop-up innings. The game, yeah. the game was over by then. It, it was definitely over, but it was it was good to see, I guess. And I think he ended up, didn't he walk the first two batters in the ninth and then work his way around? I, I don't know. but I, I think he did, yeah. yeah he, got, he got into some trouble, but he worked his way out of it, which, you know, good for Heath. Yeah, because then I think Stanton or someone grounded out, and Nunez almost made another error. I don't know. I uh, we'll talk about Nunez too. That that that's going to be a fun topic. But yeah, Stephen Wright out. It's really unfortunate. Heath Hembree's pretty good. He has a four nineteen FIP, as mentioned, an ERA around that ballpark. Um, he's pitched, I think, the most innings for the Red Sox among relievers this year. So it's not a total like it's not like they're down. Uh, they're they're losing Stephen Wright, who hasn't I think allowed one or two runs since July, June, uh, September was incredible. It was a really nice change of pace to be able to you know feature maybe a hundred mile per hour fastball from Joe Kelly one inning and then go to a nice knuckler the next. That was a really good change of pace tool. They don't have that anymore. So that stinks. Um, we're wishing Stephen Wright a speedy recovery, and hopefully if the Red Sox make the World Series, which I hope and fully, I don't know if I expect it, but I really hope that they do. Um, hopefully we can get Stephen Wright back. But yes, now we're going to into Game 2, which was last night, which was not fun, which made me left me very dejected. As I mentioned to you, Dave, I watched it with a bunch of Yankee fans, and it was really, it was really not, not fun. They definitely were rubbing my nose in it. Um, I actually had, like, I made plans maybe a month in advance for this night, and I canceled them at the last second because I f- totally forgot that the Red Sox and Yankees could be playing at on prime time. So, yeah, th- this was important to me. I totally just botched plans that I had a month in advance to watch this game, and I'm happy I did, and in other ways not, because David Price's woes against the Yankees continued. The Yankees beat the Red Sox 6-2. Price allowed three earned runs and one and two-thirds innings. Dave, what were your thoughts on David Price's outing? Uh, I'm, I'm done. Anyone who listens to the podcast, reads our articles, know that, that I'm one of the bigger David Price supporters out there, but 
you know, I'm done. He broke me. This is it. He was great in the regular season. I don't deny it. Without him, we might not win the division. But I'm done. If he can't do it in the postseason, if he can't do it against the Yankees, I'm done defending the guy. But you broke me, David Price. Congratulations. Yeah, Dave has been David Price's biggest supporter for a while, and it, it sucks that he let you down like this. Because, I mean, he has been he has been terrific in the regular season um, without him. I don't he had know. everything going for him. He did. He talked about needing to completely switch his um, mechanics to pitch to the Yankees, and he did that in the second half. He beat them in the regular season. Yeah. He pitched a great game, and he was doing everything differently until all of a sudden he wasn't. Yeah, um, this is a staff from ESPN, David Schoenfield. I think that's how you pronounce that, um, that I saw today. Um, obviously, small sample. It's not even that small sample size. In 10 career postseason starts, he has a 6.03 ERA. That is very much higher than his actual career ERA, which is probably in the threes. So, yeah, that, that says something right there, even though it is a small sample. Um, and you know what's astonishing about that is I... Um I wrote an article that aged incredibly poorly. Um, it was called Reasons to Believe in, D- in Playoff David Price. And one of the reasons I gave is that in four of his nine uh, playoff starts and five out of his ten uh, pl- uh, you know, elimination starts, like there was a one-game uh, play-in game back in 2013, which technically wasn't a playoff game but had all the same implications. Yeah. Five of those ten starts, he... Uh, he pitched a quality start, going at least six innings, giving up three runs or fewer. So I'm like, you know, I looked at that and thought, okay, it's just when things go bad for Price, yeah. they just go completely off the rails. Half the time, he's a really good pitcher, but nope, I'm done. I'm done. Until uh, he proves he can do it to me as a starter, I'm not. I'm done. Yeah, um, and that was my next question. I was. Uh, th- this is going to be interesting to hear your response. Uh, should Price be used as a starter in the postseason henceforth? Well, there's no reason to use him in the ALDS. You can have Porcello and Evaldi yeah. go games five and four, and then Sale game five. If you put Sale in games three or four, or excuse me, if you put Price in games three or four, you'd be doing it on short rest, which you don't want to do. And there's not a single human being alive under any circumstances, regardless of what happened yesterday, who would willingly start Dave Price over Chris Sale. That's just absurd. Um, so I wouldn't start him in the ALDS. I would in the ALCS, but that's not because I'm confident in David Price. It's because I have zero confidence in Eduardo Rodriguez. If you look at his numbers over the season, this is Eddie Rodriguez I'm talking about. His ERA is over six against playoff teams, the Indians, the Astros, the Yankees. Um, And his FIP, all the peripherals, they line up with he just struggles against the good teams. David Price has a, obviously we know about his postseason struggles, but you know, he has a higher ceiling. He's done it in the regular season, which I know isn't much, but Eddie hasn't done it in the regular season or in the postseason throughout his career. So I'd pitch Price, but I would not feel comfortable about our hopes during that game. No, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I don't think you can take, if if the Red Sox advance to the ALCS, of course, I don't think you can take David Price out of the rotation despite his postseason track record Eduardo Rodriguez is your alternative and that's not a peachy alternative whatsoever um, and as you said Erod has not been good against the juggernauts the behemoth lineups which the Yankees and the Astros are so I would stay with David Price and again my confidence level wasn't high but it 
I, I think he gives you a better chance than your alternative, so you have to stick with him. Um, push it's, a, it's a 15% chance versus a 5% chance. Either way, yeah. chances are the Astros win that game. No, yeah, I, I agree. And, I mean, push comes to shove. I, I, I still believe that, that David Price is good enough where he should be able to work around some of these postseason struggles against these good lineups. So I'm hoping that he will somehow redeem himself against the Astros if the Red Sox make it that far. But he's also, uh, according to Alex Cora, he'll be available to pitch out of the bullpen on on Monday um, if they so choose. Uh, David Price pitched out of the bullpen in the postseason last year. He did pretty good. I was wondering uh, if if this is a bad thing that he may be used on Monday or in on Tuesday or Thursday. So, um, yeah, about that. Price has actually been really good in the postseason out of the bullpen. He um, is typically shut down. Last year, he didn't allow a single earned run out of the bullpen, and he saw more innings than everyone but Chris Sale. So that's obviously encouraging. But it's the Yankees, and it's in Yankee Stadium, and Price just cannot pitch there. He just, like, for whatever reason, he can't do it as a Red Sox. So... My, my view on it is if David Price is available, so is Chris Sale. So, you know, don't do that. Don't make David Price go unless you're really, really in trouble. Like if Corsello or Evaldi gets pulled after one and you have no better choice. So, yeah, no, I'd, I'd try to avoid that. Yeah, I think I would try to avoid it. And I think I, think I would favor some other starters. Like, eh, nah. I mean, I would favor one of the Avoldi or Porcello who's not pitching. Because if the Red Sox lose game three, I think they might have to think about using Chris Sale on short rest game four. That's uh Yeah. Well, yeah, go yeah, definitely do that. And then you say Porcello starts game three, start Sale game four, but have Avaldi there at the first sign of trouble. Yeah, and then you could do maybe a bullpen day and just stack the deck because there might not be a next game and you can't really conserve your players if there's nothing to play for after that. So it's going to be all hands yep. on deck. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't mind Price coming out of the bullpen. I think he might serve as an upgrade over guys like Hembry, like Kelly like Brandon Workman, but I'm not confident in that. I think when you're his his strategy is obviously gonna be different if he's pitching out of the bullpen. I think he might be slightly better. So hopefully his stuff will play out in that role. Although I did say the same thing about Eduardo Rodriguez on the last podcast, if you would remember. I was I was glorifying how his changeup would play and in the sixth inning it looked really well. Like I looked like a genius. But then seventh inning came around and it did not look like a great take because whenever a starter who has good stuff enters the bullpen, I instantly just like just glorify them and I think it's gonna be the best thing ever that's gonna happen and then it, it, it doesn't sometimes and then I just have to like take a reality check and, and that's what I'm gonna do. I think price might be an upgrade over some of your worst relievers and he can probably go more innings too. Um, but we'll we'll see how they use him and if they use him I'm not sure. Yeah, against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium with those short porches against a team that likes to slaughter home runs. I don't know. I don't know man. Yeah. And I, I would not like, if it's the option of Price or Hembry and they go Price, I won't complain about that. But if you have the option between Price or, like, clean inning Ryan Brazier or Matt Barnes and you go Price, I, I wouldn't like that decision. No, Especially I, if in Yankee Stadium. If you're in Fenway, fine, but don't do that in Yankee Stadium. No, I, I, I totally agree. Speaking of which, Gary Sanchez belted uh, two homers off David Price last night. 
Um, Judge got one too. Actually, no, 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 sorry. Sanchez did not belt two homers off Price. He belted one off Price, and Judge belted one off Price. And then Gary Sanchez hit the other one off of Eduardo Rodriguez. But uh, Gary Sanchez's second homer, which was off of Erod, went 479 feet, which is the furthest of any home run at Fenway Park since the StatCast era began in 2015. It was a straight shot. It left the yard. Holy crap. That was a thing of beauty, even though I was not rooting for any Yankee-related activity. Um, they did. They, that was a shot. Um, I think the worst part about last night, other than the fact we lost, was that Gary Sanchez was kind of the reason we lost. I'm not a I'm not a big Gary Sanchez guy. Like I I don't like Gary Sanchez. I don't think he's a particularly good player. And the fact that he just slaughtered the Red Sox last night kind of hurt my own sense of dignity. It was morally degrading. Let's just put it like that. But yeah, um, did you have any thoughts on yeah. Gary Sanchez last night, Dave? Um, a, a few of them. So one, uh, this is, I'm actually marrying into a Yankees family. So this is, this oh was God. not an easy game for me. Just <laughs> got to mention that my fiance, uh, she came in every now and again to check the score and she's like, Oh, Oh, six, one. Oh, that's rough. I'm like, Maury, just shut up. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, I saw another interesting stat out there that Gary Sanchez, 475 foot home run. That is more air distance than Sandy Leone has compiled collectively over the entire season. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it's, it. it's not, but the point is Sandy can't hit for ship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he uh, Sandy Leone, my, my God. Yeah. Um, Gary Sanchez hit those home runs. Sandy Leone did not hit a home run yet. Um, I'm still holding out for it. He has, what, five home runs in the season? Is that is that correct, Leone? That Five. sounds right. I know one of them came against the Yankees, so, you know, maybe another one can. It won't. But. <laughs> Sandy Leone, game five, walk-off grand slam. They're down three runs. It's going to happen. And we're all, we're, I don't know what I would do. That would, I would buy a Sandy uh, okay. jersey. T- time out, time out right there. Even if Sandy Leone does do that, he should never have the opportunity to. <laughs> you're, you're right. If he has the opportunity to do that, something has gone terribly wrong. Yeah, if he has the opportunity, I don't care what the result is, fire Cora right then and there. (laughs) Cora should not have another day in a Red Sox uniform if Sandy Leon has the opportunity in the bottom of the ninth to hit a walk-off Grand Slam. I agree wholeheartedly. I don't care how bad the bench is. Put Rick Porcello out there. I don't care. Rick Porcello should get the opportunity over Sandy Leon. Um, yeah, we're going to move to Eduardo Rodriguez, though, because, I mean, we talked about him a little bit. But he pitched a 6th and 7th. He was tagged for 3 and runs. His changeup looked great in that 6th. Whatever, 7th sucked. Um, does this alleviate some of the trust you have in bullpen Erod, Dave? Um, well, I didn't necessarily have all that much to begin with. I thought it could be a 2-3 to three run, uh, two to three inning guy, and, you know, that wasn't great. But, again, going into the bullpen, I thought, okay, Eddie's there if things, you know, get out of hand if the starter only gets two or three, because Stephen Wright's going to be the long guy, and whoops, he broke his knee. So, um, yeah, it's not ideal having Eddie being the only long guy, because, as I mentioned, he's just bad against postseason teams. Um, it's another reason I would have thought about bringing Velasquez or Johnson aboard instead of Embry, but I don't blame Cora for picking Embry. Um, you know, it just it's another thing that where we're going to have to be a little bit more creative if the starter can't go deep into the game. I think your long guy might be whichever starter has the most rest. So, for example, say Porcello can't go long. You know, Chris Sale or Nathan Evaldi might be a long guy. I don't know. Because 
Eddie Rodriguez, he just has a tough time against these uh, upper-level teams. Yeah, he, he definitely does. I, I actually saw an Eduardo Rodriguez start in Yankee Stadium, um, and I think it was in June, end of June, and he got rocked by the Yankees, no surprise. Um, but he definitely has struggled against these higher-level teams, although I think Eduardo Rodriguez, I think his stuff will play up. I hope that was just a random, volatile, small sample size. Um, but... I, I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you. I don't know how he's going to translate. He obviously has struggled against superior competition, so we'll see. I still like that. Ch- that changeup was looking a little sexy there for a while before it. it yeah. Um, moving to the other, another guy who came out in, in place of David Price. Surprisingly, Joe Kelly had two and one-thirds innings, and he allowed just one hit. And no runs. Look, everyone did not want Joe Kelly on the postseason roster. The fact that he even made it was just, it created public outrage. And here goes Joe Kelly coming in, two and a third scoreless innings in a critical part of the game. I know obviously it didn't turn out to be critical because they lost 6-2, but it could have been critical. He looked good. He kind He's of the only reason it was close for yeah, Kelly. He shut it down. And do, does this to any way signify that good Joe Kelly is back, Dave? Okay, there's two options right here, and I'm not sure which one I believe. So there's, we all know by now, there's the good Joe Kelly and the bad Joe Kelly. The good Joe Kelly's the one that punches Tyler Austin and goes two months straight of being one of the best setup men's in baseball. And then there's the bad one, which is the one we get, I'd say, probably 60-70% of the time. Can't find the strike zone to save his life. Throws 100 miles an hour, but right down the middle where everyone crushes it out of the park. And this is a sign that good Joe Kelly might be here, but we've also been down this path enough time to know that this could be Joe Kelly just raising our hopes just enough only to dash him one more time before he leaves in free agency. And I'm not sure which one is happening because Joe Kelly is very susceptible to doing both of those things. Yeah, he is. Um, I have no idea. I, I would like to say, based on this season's track record, that this is not a sign of things to come that are good for Joe Kelly. Obviously, he's one of your 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 lesser options in the bullpen. Um, so I don't think that Kelly, this should inspire much confidence on the part of Cora and Red Sox fans that Kelly is back. I mean, these he looked good, but it is a small sample. Uh, we got to keep our expectations to you know what he's done for most of the season. Although I did see a couple Fight Club Joe Kelly shirts in the audience. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, did you have a Fight Club Joe Kelly shirt, Dave? Did, were you one of those people who got one? Oh, no, I'm way too cheap for that. Yeah, me too, me too. I mean, I kind of was really behind the whole movement, but I, it was just a matter of I didn't want to spend the $15 it costs to probably get one. Yeah, and not only that, but I like Joe Kelly the person, but... Even at its highest point, I never really had much trust in Joe Kelly, the player. I knew the bad one was just around the corner. Exactly, so. exactly. And, like, the expiration on that shirt, like, he's not coming back. Like, I would be shocked if he came back. So the expiration on that shirt is, like, the re- half a season, and then, you know. You- yeah, and unless we win the World Series behind Joe Kelly's, like, in- inhuman strength or something, that shirt has no value in 2019. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, he could be fighting against the Red Sox next year. I mean, honestly, I, I think the ideal situation for, like, my standpoint would be if he signed with the Twins and he became teammates with Tyler Austin they became best friends. I think that would – I don't know why. I think that would just be funny. I don't that would be hilarious. That would be hilarious. Oh I, I hope the Twins sign him. Like, yeah. that new goal. That's our new goal for the offseason. I don't care who the Red Sox get as long as the Twins sign Joe Kelly. That That's the one thing I'm looking forward to. Um, that'd be like a sit that's like a 1980s sitcom idea right there yeah i mean yeah it definitely is uh i'd love to see it um but the iconic moment that had this was the one thing that was our saving grace on the night the one thing i can you know hold my hat on i we talked about this before uh the show began but it was ryan brazier yelling to gary sanchez to get in the effing box um because he was taking a while he was just i don't know what he was doing he was taking a long time and uh he followed that by a strikeout um you know obviously these teams have had tension all year so this kind of uh this kind of was a pretty pretty big moment and i think it was awesome that it was followed by the the one two strikeout um and this kind of mitigated the emotional effects of the loss, which are, were pretty severe. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this iconic moment? Yeah, so everyone, uh, anyone who follows our Twitter feed, Red Sox Unfiltered, at Bo Sox Unfiltered, knows for a fact that Ryan Brazier's slander is not tolerated on our feed. Because inherited runner Brazier, not that good. But cleaning Brazier, he's, like, fantastic. And this is just more proof of it. Like, I absolutely love that, you know, Sanchez gets out of the box twice, Brazier yells at him, gets him in, strikes him out next pitch, and, you know, if we had won, that would have been, like, that That would have been the stuff of legend. It still is the stuff of legend. Ryan Brazier is my setup guy, and he and in a clean inning, I absolutely love him. I think he's fantastic, and I'm so glad we have him moving forward. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I, and I think if the Red Sox had come back and won, there would be t-shirts that say, get in the effing box. Obviously, it's it's too depressing right now to actually you know manufacture those. But if if the Red Sox had won, you would see them like you see the Joe Kelly Fight Club shirts. Well, one thing worth noting: the Joe Kelly Fight Game. We lost that one. We did lose we that, that one. We did, but it didn't People feel like a loss. That. No, I I remember that uh, vividly. But once it happened, like it felt like we won because I think we had won the other the game before that. But yeah, yeah, we crushed uh, Sevy in the game before it, yeah. and then. That was pr- the Price's first uh, mystical hand injury game in oh, Fortnite. Game. <laughs> that, that was yeah. great. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Um, the only good thing that happened in this game, offensively for the Red Sox, really was a Bogarts home run to center. That was a massive home run. That was a shot. Uh, it wasn't a Gary Sanchez shot, but it was a shot nonetheless. Um, Kinzer also collected an RBI double, and he just missed a homer, which was surprising because I was calling for Kins I think you were too calling for Kinsler to not be in the game and Brock Holt to be there and then he That was probably half of my tweets last night is why is he and Kinsler in this game Yeah we'll also talk about that later but I Kinsler had a nice uh I thought that was going to be a homer I really did off the bat I got up I started screaming I mean it was an RBI double so you know that was a run but could have been two runs and it could have been six to three instead of six to two and we still probably would have lost whatever so now we're, do you have any final thoughts on game two before we get into all these Twitter questions and these usage um, questions? Final thoughts on game two. No, I think we, uh, I think we covered it all. We wrapped that up.
Um, so yep. now, now we're going to talk about some of the usage questions. So Alex Cora, outside of the bolt, we, we, we covered the bullpen you know, strategy that he's been doing pretty in-depth. So I want to move to the lineup, and I think this is where a lot of the captivating discussion will be. The first one I want to ask, um, should we be mad that Eduardo Nunez is in the lineup over Rafael Devers? He started both Game 1 and Game 2. Yes, 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 a thousand times yes. I get why Cora wants to put Eduardo Nunez in there, just because Devers, like, defensively is a little bit of a, you never know what's going to happen on any given ground ball. But it's not like Nunez is a good defensive third baseman. We talked about this coming into the coming into the playoffs on the last podcast, and Nunez had three absolutely atrocious throws yesterday. Kinsler and Pierce bailed him out of two of them, and one of them he just sailed into sailed into the stands, and these are all routine plays. Raphael Devers would not be doing worse than what Eduardo Nunez is doing right now. Defensively, yeah, you never know where his throws are going to go, but he has better range, he has faster reflexes and a stronger arm than Nunez, and offensively, it's not even close. This team hasn't scored really any with any consistency since the third inning of, the, of Game 1. You need an offensive bat. You need something that you know can change the game. In a single swing, Devers has that, Nunez doesn't, and he never will. So for if Rafael Devers needs to take over the starting third baseman role starting game three. The only viable argument that Cora has going for him to put Nunez in is that he's somehow a better defender, which I already struggle to accept that. And then he say he had what made two errant throws last night in critical moments. Three. 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 One of them actually ended up being an out, I think, with the Ian Kinsler one, right? Yeah. yeah, the Kinsler yeah. one was an out, which I disagree with. I think the replay oh, I thought he was got so it wrong. Safe. Yeah, I don't think he could have overturned that. But I'm happy they did. Look, I'm not complaining, but I I, th- I thought uh, I thought he was safe. And that would have been bases loaded, no outs. That would have been uh, that would have been horrifying. That could have been like a 10-2 game. Um, you know, every loss, is, it's a loss regardless. But, yeah, Nunez, Nunez apparently he's does he's not as prone to these mental lapses as Raphael Devers at third base. He's more fundamentally sound in quotation marks. Devers obviously has a better range. You talked about this. He's more athletic, but Devers has been prone to, you know, being sometimes yeah. aloof at third base and making poor throws, making poor decisions. But Devers is an offensive upgrade. I mean, it's a 90 WRC plus compared to 78 WRC plus on the year. Devers had a really hot September too. He was hitting the ball well. It's not like we're doing like a recent sample kind of thing. And in terms of F WAR, Nunez was worth negative 0.4 compared to a one win player, which Devers was. That is a significant gap right there. Now, I will argue that Nunez had a lot of value taken away from his time at second base where he was absolutely atrocious, which is weird because, you know, he's playing. I, th- I honestly feel like second base is e- a little bit easier than third base. I know, like, he has more times to think about it because that hot corner is so reactive, whereas second base, it's a little more passive and you need your range and your athleticism, which Nunez does not have. He hasn't had it for a very long time. But you're putting Nunez in there, and I don't think it's the right decision. This is the one I'm really mad about. We can talk about Ian Kinsler and Holt. I think there's a viable argument for either. But this is, this like, I can't justify Nunez 
as their starting third baseman. And like the thing is, I don't even think it's really a question right now in Cora's mind. Like after after last night's game, I I pray that De- we see Devers game three or even Brock Holt. Like I don't know why Brock Holt can't play third base. I know he's had a hundred innings at the hot corner the last two seasons. Moreover, I don't know why they didn't try to stretch him out at third in in September because he's shown that he's a capable defender over there before, and he's definitely he's probably an offensive upgrade over both and defensively too. And I, absolutely, yes. yeah. And I think maybe your most optimal your optimal fielding is going to be Holt at third and Kinsler at second. So I, I that, that's weird to me, but I feel like it's just between Devers and Nunez right now. So let's just confine the the conversation between the rules that govern the system, I guess. Um, I want to ask you now uh, the Ian Kinsler. Well, first of all, do you think uh, I've got? Yeah, I've got one more thought. Yeah, on go for it. I've got one more thought on the Devers thing. Yeah, so. Raphael Devers, when he has no time to think about it, like when it's just absolutely quick, quick reaction, Devers is a fantastic third baseman. You can see all his raw skills. Like you can see the range, you can see the rocket arm, and that's great. But it's when he has time to think about it that, like you know, the routine plays can sometimes turn into nightmares. And Nunez typically is better than that. But yesterday he was atrocious. At, like most of the bad plays he made, all of them were. Routine or routine plays. If he's not giving you that, Devers needs to be in it. And the only argument I can think of for why Devers isn't playing is because Cora thinks that, you know, a 21-year-old kid shouldn't be in that type of a pressure situation. But to that, I say, were you watching last year's postseason? He was our best hitter. He was basically the only spark we had in the lineup the whole second half of the year. He's been great in, like, huge situations before. Remember last year's... uh, Ninth inning, uh, Homer off Chapman in the regular season. Last year's inside the park home run that almost brought us back against the Astros game four. I mean, I don't know why Devers isn't playing, and I'm very mad about it. Yeah, and the thing is, Alex Cora was literally watching Raphael Devers in the postseason last season because he was the Astros bench coach. So he literally saw it unfold in front of him. He was there! He was actually there. So, yeah, I I think it is the inexperience. I think Cora originally was sticking with Devers, like, tooth and nail and then he kind of his confidence started waning a little bit throughout the season I don't think Devers has restored that I don't know if that's you know justified or not but it seems like Devers is obviously your better player and in terms of you know right now you have to go with your better player there's no tomorrow I mean there is a tomorrow there's a game three and there's a game four but you know soon enough this is going to get this is going to get really close um, the other lineup question mark besides Mitch Moreland, Steve Pierce, which we'll, we'll table for another day. Um, but Ian Kinsler over Brock Holt, that's happened the past two days. And a lot of people seem to disagree with it. W- where are you on this conversation, Dave? Uh, yeah, I'm team Brock Holt all the way. Um, I get why Kinsler's starting and I think I, I don't blame Cora for starting Kinsler game one or two. And I don't blame Cora for sticking with Kinsler in game one, because when, when you have a lead, uh, I think Kinsler's defense, which is better than Holtz, yep. um, that's more valuable than Holtz's offense. And if the rest of the lineup's hitting, because we have the potential to be pretty much a very strong like one through nine offense, then you can deal with Kinsler just being kind of meh at the plate. But the offense just hasn't been hitting. Like I said earlier, since the third inning of yes of uh, game one, we've put up a whopping two runs. So you need the better bat, and that's indisputably Brock Holt. On the season, Holt has a 110 WRC+, plus, I believe, and Kinsler's down at 79, and I think the number's lower since he joined the Red Sox. I mean, the point is, there's a very large split between offensively what Kinsler can do and what Brock Holt can do, 
And Holtz had a fantastic September, too. He was on yeah. fire going into the playoffs. Kinsler wasn't. So I think you need that spot in the lineup. I'd have Brock Holt as my starting second baseman. Yeah, I actually have the WRC pluses in front of me because I wrote it down because I was going to reference that, too. Kinsler has an 87 WRC plus on the year. Obviously, it was much worse with the Red Sox. I think he had like a league average with the Angels, and then since he's joined Boston, it's not been pretty. But he has a 2.3 F4 because his defense is so freaking good. Brock Holt has 109 WRC plus. Obviously, that's significantly better than Kinsler's, and he's got the 1.4 F4. Keep in mind, Holt has not played as many games as Kinsler, so, I mean, Ward's accumulative stats. So probably on like a... On a prorated basis, they're probably the same in terms of actual value because Holt's offense kind of edges out Kinsler or makes it close between them. Um, I can't like I can't really quarrel with Kinsler being in there game one, game two. But as you said, like once you have a lead, Brock Holt's your better hitter, I think. Um, so I don't know why he didn't come in. I mean, obviously Kinsler hit the RBI double, and then I looked kind of stupid for even having those those uh impure thoughts of putting holt <laughs> but yeah so like this one to me is not as egregious as the fact that eduardo nunez is starting i'm still a little peeved about it but i could definitely I, i'm definitely more m- more mad about devers not playing and again like i still don't know why brock holt can play th- can't play third i uh, to me, that's kind of mind-boggling. I, I, and we've even talked about him platooning with Moreland, although uh, we, last week I kind of brought up Pierce's splits against righties, and you know he's just as good of a hitter against righties as Mitch Moreland is. So I think Pierce is your everyday first baseman, and I think Holt should be playing third a little bit, or at least they should have given him a tryout and some time to get his sea legs under there at third uh, in September because no one really, the Red Sox were not really trying anyway. They were fielding Zoe Lynn and Sam Travis on a consistent basis, nor did they have the they didn't need to but i think holt uh should definitely get a look at third or something i don't know holt probably should be in this lineup somehow some way yeah and here's another thing on the brock holt like if he's on the bench use him as a pinch hitter his here's his numbers on the year as a pinch hitter he's had 15 point appearances his slash line is 385 467 with a 1.15 slugging percentage that's like amazing he has two homers two doubles and a triple Meanwhile, Raphael Devers, and I don't want to complain about putting Devers into the game over Leon, but if you have Brock Holt as the option, it should have been him as a pinch hitter because Devers, I think he's like 0 for 6 with four strikeouts. He's not a very good pitch hitter at a very small sample. I think it should have been Holt there. He's your, he's your best hitter, and he needs to find a way into the game. And as for the Steve Pierce thing, I think, uh, you know, the Lord sort of divinely intervened. Uh, Moreland yeah. hurt his hamstring. <laughs> Pierce came in, so I haven't heard an update on that, but... I think if there's even the slightest bit of Moreland not being 100%, Core's going to realize Steve Pierce at 100% is better than a hobbled Moreland, regardless of righty-lefty splits. So, Yeah, and, and I think we're so, going to see Pierce in there anyway because it's Severino, the lefty, in Game 3, and then it'll be Sabathia Game 4, and then Game 5 will presumably, if there is a Game 5, J.A. Happ. So that's all lefties. So it's probably going to be a, a nice heaping of Steve Pierce, which certified Yankee killer I'm all about. Um, the thing is, Moreland has the gold glove, but their defensive metrics for their careers and for this season are actually very similar. People don't look at Steve Pearson kind of think of as a very good fielder, but I don't know why. I mean, the dude makes some awesome split. The guy can literally do a split. He's he's made some really awesome picks this year. He stretches further than Moreland. Moreland's a little bigger, so he's got, you know, obviously he's 
probably got a larger extension. But Pierce has played some good first base defensively, and he's an offensive upgrade. I, I wasn't planning on getting into this debate again because we talked about it last week, but I'm so pro-Pierce, like I can't like quell this anger that's growing inside of me. But yeah, I think... Uh, I think that they did do a little favor when Moreland went out with the hammy. Although, like Mitch Moreland's good too, and especially like as a pinch hitter or whatever. So, and and we talk about pinch hitters. I think Blake Swihart has like crazy stats as a pinch hitter. I could be wrong, but I feel like anecdotally that's a thing. Um, I can't look it up because my Wi-Fi's down. So you know, we're just gonna roll with it and let's just pretend Blake Swihart's a good pinch hitter for the sake of this. Um, but now we're going to move on to some Twitter questions. Actually, the Holt over Kinsler was actually asked by Rob Lynch at Iron Rooster 606. So thank you for that question. We kind of answered it. I didn't preface it, but yeah. Um, the next question I have for you, Dave, is uh, from Devin Hodgkins. Probably butchered that. Sorry, Devin. It's at Devin Flight on Twitter. How did David Price become ultra soft? Uh, well, I, I don't know if it's like an ultra soft thing because I still say, I still give him a lot of credit for what he did in 2017. He pitched through a pretty tough injury that D- Dr. James Andrews said should have required Tommy John surgery. Price didn't get it. He pitched through it. So I'm not sure, like, I don't think he's physically soft at all. I just don't know what it is about the Yankees that he just cannot figure out. There's really no answer for it that makes any sort of logical sense. He has the stuff to be a great pitcher. Um, you know, he won the Cy Young. He's been a five-time All-Star, I believe. And he was, you know, he was the ace we needed when Chris Sale was out the second half of the year. It's just, for whatever reason, he can't start in the playoffs consistently and he can't beat the Yankees. I, I just, I don't get it. Yeah, I think calling him Ultra Sauce a little mean and kind of not really representative of, of David Price. I think Mike Petriello, who writes for he's very involved with StatCast, very smart guy. Um, was talking about the David Price can't pitch against the Yankee narrative. But he said the thing that was salient to him was the fact that the Yankees, as a team, have a 470 slug against lefties, which is significantly the best in baseball. I think they have a very good lineup, especially when they face left-handed pitchers. And that's a lot of the reasons for David Price, because they have a lot of guys who can hit southpaws. And you know what David Price is? He's a, he's a, he's a lefty. He's a southpaw. Um, I do counterpoint Brian Johnson has better numbers than David Price against the Yankees I yeah I don't know that uh, that's weird I mean Brian John what's his what's his number against the what's his numbers of the Yankees do you have those with you I don't I don't have them with me but I know they're better yeah I mean it's not hard to be better to be fair than uh David Price against the Yankees um I'd have to look at the underlying statistics too because the ERA is kind of happening in a... Uh, David Price has had years against the Yankees. I don't know. But the lefty thing, I the fact that their lineup is very... For, they're excellent against lefties, I think tells a pretty important story. Although Chris Sale seems to have no problem against the New York Yankees. Um, David Price was never as good as Chris Sale, though. Like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Like, yeah, you can't Chris Sale's an make that comparison, but... But then using the Brian Johnson comparison, it's like, yeah, Brian Johnson is considerably worse than David Price, and he's having more success. I would have to look at the underlying statistics for that, too. Because I know Brian Johnson pitched one game against the Yankees. I believe it was late, mid-August, and he got pretty rocked as far as I'm 
my memory goes to serve. But I, again, I will hopefully look at the numbers later and we'll figure that out. Um, so Brent Smoyer had a series of three questions. Thank you, Brent. Um, he's very active on the Red Sox and Filter Twitter account. So we thank you for your support and you know opening this dialogue with us consistently. Um, he said, would it be wrong to rocket price into the sun? We're not going to actually answer that, but that was a pretty funny question and kind of goes along Devin's question about how the price become ultra soft. And then he says, but seriously, thoughts on the game three starter? I'm voting Evoldi. He's been solid versus the Yanks this season. Dave, who should start game three? Game three, I view that as a must win. So I'm go- I'd am say Evaldi. I'd be com- comfortable with Porcello or Evaldi, but I'd go Evaldi just because he's pitched 16 innings against the Yankees this year, has yet to allow an earned run. I also don't have internet. It's down because we can record a lot better without it. But I looked up the stats before the game. Evaldi is something like a 2-8 FIP or like a 2-5 FIP, somewhere in that range. It's really good against the Yankees this year. So it's, this isn't a fluke performance. It's not like he's loading the bases and getting out after someone hits three like 399-foot line drives to straightaway center. He's really pitching well against the Yankees. I'd go with him. But that said, Porcello is also someone I'd trust in this sort of situation. He struggled in the second half of the year. That's really not a secret. But he's his last start against the Yankees, he went nine innings, complete game, gave up one hit. It was a homer to Andahar. And he only threw something like 80-something pitches. It was one of the best performances anyone's had all year for a Red Sox uniform. Might be the best. And that's saying something when you have Chris Sale on the team. He, uh, Porcello, came into game one, pitched really well in the limited guys he faced. So I trust him to be able to get the Yankees out. I trust Evaldi. I think either one's a good choice. But if I, was only, if I had to pick one, I'd go Evaldi. Yeah, uh, I definitely can see that argument. I see both arguments for uh, Porcello and Evaldi to start this game. Obviously, when you're talking about pitchers in a given year going against a certain team, it's going to be a small sample size, so you have to keep that caveat in mind. Um, Evaldi's done very good against the Yankees. Porcello had one of the, as you mentioned, he had one of the best starts of all season, maybe perhaps the best start of the season for the Red Sox against the Yankees. I believe that was in August, too. Um, I think that I would go Rick Porcello here. And I would not be mad if Evoldi got the start. I just think Porcello, push comes to shove, is the better pitcher. And I count on him to go deeper into the game than I do Evoldi. And I know, like, conserving the bullpen's not really, it's not as big of a concern now that we're in the postseason. But I just think Porcello is the better pitcher. And that's why I'd go, you know, Ricky Raindrops game three and Evoldi uh, game four if the Red Sox win. If not, I'd go Chris Sale. Um, so yeah, I want to ask that if the Sox go down to one, you, we talked about this, but should the sale pitch game four? Do you subscribe Ab- to the camp? Absolutely. If we lose game three, sale needs to start game four, because if I'm losing the ALS, if I'm losing the ALDS, I'm doing it with my best guy on the mound. I don't want this to be the 2013 Orioles where they left Britain in the bullpen to pitch freaking Jimenez. If you're going to lose, you're going to lose with your best guy. And Chris sale will always give you the best chance to win. Um, that said, you got it. Sale will only be pitching on like three or four days of rest, yeah. so you need to have Avaldi or Priscilla, whichever one doesn't start game three. You need to have them ready to go at the first sign of trouble, and ideally they can give you basically a full game bridge to Kimbrel, and then game five you worry about that if and when you get there. 
definitely. I, I agree with everything you said. Sales got to pitch game four if you get there. That's an elimination game. You got to put your best foot forward, and sales your best foot forward even on you know short rest. So sale if that comes to it, which we you know we're, we're we don't know at this point. Um, hopefully it doesn't. Uh, yeah, but the last Twitter question I have for you is from Tebow Potato Couch, and it is, is Kevin is Kevin Millar still <laughs> I, I love that Kevin. guy, by the way. Tebow yeah. Potato, Potato Couch, if you're listening, like, he tweets at us a he lot, does, and I does. just, I, I never understood the reason for his name, but it always just makes me smile anytime I see that come <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah, I was always curious about the origin of his name. Maybe he can tweet at us if he listens to this, but, yeah, it's a, it's a fun name. He's a, he's a cool follow, so follow him, but, uh, yeah, Dave, is Kevin Millar still available to cowboy up my answer is yes i think he's always ready to go what about you 100 percent. give me kevin millar give me uh pedro martinez give me the entire 2004 red sox team coming back except for johnny damon because he says he's rooting for the yankees oh what a jerk oh my yeah. gosh johnny damon what yeah you, you, you didn't you missed that i missed that he'd like oh what I, what yeah yeah, Damon says he's rooting for the Yankees in this, which, you know, I he, he won the World Series with them in 09. Fine. But, you know, whatever. We had Ellsbury was better anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Damon. Oh, Johnny John. Um, but, yeah, Pedro Martinez rooting for the Red Sox hard. Saw that. And he He's on the TBS pregame. I listened to him speak. Was there ever any doubt about that, though? No, like, there was not. You there can send not, out the 2014 no. Red Sox and <laughs> Pedro would pick them to beat the 1927 Yankees. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, I, I like Pedro as a commentator, though. I don't know if you've watched his pregame stuff, but he's... he's oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, pre- he's a very smart man, obviously. I mean, he's the greatest Red Sox pitcher of all time. So, uh, yeah, he... He, uh, I like watching Pedro Martinez speak about baseball. It's fun. And he couldn't fix Evoldi, though. But, I mean, I think Evoldi... Fi- did Evoldi, did Evoldi just, like, take to Pedro Martinez's advice about where his um, position on the rubber? Like, did I, he- I think so, because if you look at his, his final numbers, I'm writing up the Game 3 uh, preview just before we started the podcast, and his ERA on the season with the Red Sox is, like, 3-3-something. So it's either, it's either, like, divine or a train wreck anytime Evoldi takes the mound. So... I mean, he's been good in the end of September, so maybe uh, Pedro did fix him. Yeah, because I remember it was his landing foot, and I think it was he was landing on his toe, or he should have been landing on his toe. It was something. Yeah, or he wasn't extending his foot all the way. All all I know is that Pedro's a god, and the only bad thing he's ever done in his life is turn Severino into an ace. (laughs) Yeah, that that was really unnecessary of him. But other than that, he's been, yeah. He could have waited until Severino fizzled out in New York. The Yankees DFA'd him. We claimed him. And then you make Severino an ace. That's what Pedro should have done. Like a J.D. Martinez revival when he got DFA'd by the Astros and the Tigers picked him up. Or what, what happened with Ortiz? The only reason yeah. Ortiz joined the Red Sox is because Pedro was entering a contract year and uh, Theo wanted to make Pedro happy. Exactly. This this could have happened. Sevy could have been pitching alongside Chris Sale. Wow. Wow. Chris Sale, David Price, Rick Porcello, Nathan Avoldi. Eduardo Rodriguez said, wow, that is a rotation right there. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's actually going to do it for the 24th, I almost said 54th, wow, the 24th episode of the Boston Red Sox and Filtered Podcast. Dave, do you have any departing thoughts for the listeners? Um, not really, just, uh, you know, let's keep watching, let's keep going. It's tie series, best of three, let's do it. Well, I actually want to ask you one more thing because I forgot about this. Do you think right now as things stands, the Red Sox will still win? this series socks and five socks and five like i have to i think we 
I think we split in the Bronx, and I, I don't see us losing Game 5 with Chris Sale on the mound. No, I, I don't either. Um, I actually have to work Tuesday and Thursday, so I'm try- and they're, they're both at night. So I'm really trying to switch my shift. Um, so, yeah, if any of my coworkers are listening, which I know they're not, um, please you know, help me out. Um, yeah, because I, if I miss a Yankees-Red Sox playoff game, I, I don't think I can come back. Elimination game, too. An elimination game, man. I can't do that. So hopefully I'll get that covered and I'll be able to watch. I, honestly, I'd watch on my phone the entire time. If uh, worst comes to worst, I just would not acknowledge any of the customers. But, yeah, that's... Uh, that's going to do it for the 24th episode of the Red Sox Filter Podcast. Um, we'll be back next week with more, hopefully, in-depth coverage of the American League Championship Series between the Houston Astros and Boston Red Sox. Um, redemption, maybe. I don't know. This is too early. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, One thing at a time. Yeah, we'll, we'll take it ba- baby steps, baby steps. We need poor stuff. We don't even know who's pitching game three right now. It is it is the definition of baby steps. But yeah, um, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and if the grueling truth decides to put our thing up, you can also listen to it on Spotify, Our Heart Radio, Stitcher. There's a lot. Go check the grueling truth out. They do an amazing job with all sports as well. Um, yeah, we'll see you guys, or we, we won't see you because we can never see you, really. We will... We will, we will be back with you guys next we week. We will too. talk at each yeah. other, and you will eventually hear it. Yeah, you will eventually hear it, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll be back. Um, you know, this time, I'm, I don't, we, we do this perfectly. I don't even need to edit things, which is, you know, they're not going to hear us afterwards for four minutes, like last week, talking about things that were not, you know, Red Sox-related, so that's good. Um, yeah, so go Red Sox, guys. Game three is on Monday at, say, 8, 7.30. Yeah, go Red Sox. We'll see you next. I said it again. I always say see you next time, and then we never actually see them. Every time. I don't know if you've listened to the ending, but every time, it's I'll see you guys later. I don't know what else to say. You, well, I'll, I'll talk next time. Bye, guys.